Hi and welcome to NUFC Matters and it is one of our NUFC Matters special. It is the final episode of our series Newcastle Disunited where we are looking at fans' organisations through the last 30 years uh, and this show focuses on the fans' liaison committee, the fans' forum and the future. So uh, cover quite a wide range of things and we've got, as well as Steve Hasty, Neil Mitchell and Keith Patterson who've been on each show, uh, we're joined by Steve Wilkinson tonight who was actually on the fans' liaison committee. Uh, we'll come to Steve in a minute. So what was the fans' liaison committee? Well, the fans' liaison committee uh, was uh, an idea that the club had to try and improve communications with Newcastle United supporters. Sound familiar? Um, yes, this has been going on for decades. Uh, and one man uh, approached me directly. He was a scouser by the name of Rogan Taylor. Uh, he'd been advised in the late 90s to uh, to contact me and ask me and other fans in editors for their advice on what was going wrong with Newcastle United's fan base and the relationship with Newcastle United. Um, so I went and had a coffee with Rogan in Blake's in Newcastle City Centre. We sat, we had a chat. Um, I found him to be an amicable fella, very intelligent. He's well-educated and um, really liked the cut of his jib, to be perfectly honest. And um, what he said to me was he was going to speak to other people and those people who he felt could help him, he would come back and uh, re-communicate with them and come up with a game plan. After all, um, you know, he'd been asked to do it by the football club. It was quite clear that this was a paid job. So he was going to do it with the best of his ability and uh, go back with his findings to Newcastle United. The one thing I did suggest to him at that time was that he should go out and do roadshows. He should go out and speak to supporters. He should go and gauge the opinion of the ordinary supporter in bars and clubs. And, uh, you know, maybe put it out there that he was going to hold some meetings. And, and that's what he did. And I know a lot of people went to these meetings. I'm sure that uh, a couple of our panellists were there. Steve Hasty is not already. So maybe it's a good time to come to you first, Steve Hasty, and just say, what do you remember from, from those meetings, which I was at and you were at? Yeah, what I remember is like an enthusiasm uh, from Rogan to actually have something, you know, to get something put in place. I remember, I remember a lot of people saying, "Are you getting paid? Are you getting paid?" Blah blah. And it was one of the, it was one of those hot topics because I think it had been in the Chronicle or something like that. But basically, I think from a, from a, my perspective, I, I just saw this as a great opportunity to to have your say, you know, to to, to somebody who you thought was going to take it back and 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 do something with it. Um, you know, you you were you had. You, you, I was never a, I was never a fan that uh, that sort of re, you know, prior to two thousand eight had done anything, um, but I just remember being at that meeting and, and kind of feeling um, energized that there was something happening with fans and the likes of Steve and people like that um, that had tried over many years was there was now going to be an opportunity for them to be to be heard uh, or for us to be heard, whereas in, in the past other fans hadn't. Uh, that was that was just my abiding memory of, of those roadshows, Steve. Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, they were interesting to say the least. Um, there was a few raised eyebrows when, when I was there at some of the places. And um, to be perfectly honest, 
I felt Rogan was the right man for the job. Clearly somebody who, you know, wasn't a Newcastle fan, uh, but I didn't think that was important. I just think that he, as an outsider looking in, could could grab, you know, what was going on at the club, uh, you know, by the scruff of the neck, and maybe come up with some suggestions. And after those meetings, he went back and he formulated a plan to essentially set up uh, what eventually became the Fans Liaison Committee. Uh, however, in his negotiations with the club, I think what the club were a little nervous about was the fact that they may end up uh, sitting directly across the table uh, from from a group of people who didn't particularly like them, you know, and, and that that certainly concerned them. So, in the negotiations, it was discussed about having a fans liaison officer, which is, to be honest, I think where a lot of my problems started uh, with with certain people within the fan base. Uh, and, and that will become a more more apparent as we go on. Uh, but anyway, the idea was was presented by Rogan Taylor. Um, <laughs> it was for Freddie Shepard uh, and the board liked what he'd done, liked what he'd suggested. And the plans were drawn up to have the Electoral Society to actually run an official election amongst supporters, um, essentially to, to put themselves forward uh, to be on this particular committee. Now, the fans liaison officer rule uh, hadn't been announced by the club at this time. They had decided to keep that from the supporters until they had decided who their fans liaison officer was going to be. Now, unbeknown to me, Rogan Taylor, because I'd helped him so much, had actually already submitted uh, uh, you know, a letter to the club to state that he felt that I would be the right person to be the fans liaison officer in the event that the club chose to have a fans liaison officer as part of this. Now, his reasoning behind that was that I'd done me time as a supporter. I was, you know, obviously young enough, um, but I'd also helped him with the the whole process. I'd been very helpful. I'd given him advice, and uh, he felt that as well as well as the you know the fact that I'd done that, I'd also quite articulate as a young man and I could put my point across and that if push came to shove and I had to go in front of the camera that I wouldn't be nervous about doing so. So in, in a nutshell, that was what he presented to the club. So uh, a call goes out uh, for, for people to put themselves forward. And I guess that's the time to bring you, Steve Wilkinson, in because you were somebody who, as I always say, puts his head above the parapet. Why did you do it? <laughs> Well, I think I'll just give you a background. I first put my head above the parapet in 1977, um, going back to the time when Malcolm Dix was was trying to get on the on the board. The, the, the troubles with Newcastle really go back to to the 60s and possibly even earlier. I don't know, but the, at that time it was a, it was a closed shop. The, the the board of directors, uh, many of the same family. Lord Westwood was was chair, and uh, Malcolm Dix was trying to get on. He had, he had the right because he had eight chairs to get a become a board director, but there was not a hope in hell of them accepting voting Malcolm Dix on. So he, he tried to get, uh, you know, publicity and stuff to do that. And then it was the time when uh, the, the club was in, in turmoil on the pitch with Gordon Lee leaving, Richard Dennis coming in and taking over. And, and the, the, the results, and there was a split in the fan, in the club with the players as well. And uh, when, after we'd lost against Bastia in, in 1977, mm-hmm. um, Richard Dennis was sacked, and it, it, it was on that night when he was sacked, 9th of November that year. Uh, I went to the ground because they were going to have a board meeting. It used to be in the old gym, if anybody remembers, in the uh, in the car park. The board boardroom was the upstairs of that, 
And I, I went to the door waiting for uh, Russell Cushion, who was secretary at the time, to come out and make an announcement. There was a lot of press hanging around. I got talking to this guy. Uh, I think his name was Colin McGuinness, if I remember rightly. Definitely Colin. I'm not sure about his surname. And uh, we just went, when, they, when they sort of opened the door, we just went in with all the press inside the room. And uh, Russell Cushion came out and read a statement to say Richard Dennis was relieved of his uh, responsibilities as manager. And uh, when it came out, Colin... Uh, Colin was going off to uh, talk with Charles Harrison on, on Metro Radio. And, I, and as I was driving home, I had it on. And Colin was talking about he'd been involved with Malcolm Dix. And the plan was to form a, a, a group of uh, supporters. And, and I said, I got in touch with Colin. I said, I'd be interested in getting involved. Got us talking, long story short, the, that became the birth of the uh, Newcastle Supporters Association. Um, at that time, there were several people involved, but the, the key ones is how the club moved forward was, was people like Alan Rooney, John Woff, um, Malcolm Dix, Peter Radcliffe, who ultimately became the Magpie group that got John Hall in uh, sort of 10 years later. Um, key thing we managed to do was, was actually the, what, what is now known as the Irish Centre, and everybody is very popular. We, we said we wanted to create a club for the, uh, a social club for the fans, and we, 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 we took an old warehouse on the site of where the Irish Centre is now and built the, the Gallagher Club. And uh, <clears throat> the biggest problem being that we, we could only get Volks beer in, which wasn't, didn't go down very well in Newcastle. But uh, even though the pint that, that you got there was, was pretty good, we had a decent steward. And I was actually secretary of that club for, uh, for the first few years. I started working away, so I didn't get involved in the, the NSA for the, the early 80s as it went on. And uh, um, obviously the Magpie Group took over that. I next got involved in, in the 90s when uh, combining with uh, Stephen Miller and Rose Miller. Everybody knows Stephen Miller as the, the Paralympic athlete who's done very well over the years. And another guy called Terry Meadows. They had been starting thinking about starting a, a supporters group for disabled fans. And uh, I got in touch with them, was interested in doing that because I was, I was going to, in the, in the early 90s when I was living away, I was going to a lot of away games and seeing the the problems of grounds with with uh, disabled facilities, and you'd had the the hills where it happened, and the Taylor report had come out and was making lots of recommendations. So it was a good time to get involved in establishing a, a, a group of supporters. So uh, in 1998, we uh, were at the first game that season. I think we played Charlton, and uh, we put out a what was a, a, a two two sided A4 document called the Toon Times, which is actually a quite an established document still from the from the group now um just inviting people to come to a meeting and we've got it we've got about 50 or 60 disabled people to come to a meeting that we, we actually held at gates stadium at that time and and i was elected chairman of that and i, I served as chairman of the of nudza for about four years um and and we, we, we started to do events and got quite a good relationship with the club through dave patterson primarily who was combining the needs of the taylor report with the um the the, the uh, requirements of the Disability Discrimination Act that had come in in 1995, as the ground was being developed to the the situation it is now, which was about 2001 two. So we we got a good relationship with the club at that time, and uh, when when the opportunity came up for the uh, the people to nominate for the uh, fans liaison committee, which was probably the early early 2001, I think Steve wasn't it the um, then I thought I'll put myself forward as the uh, as the representation for being a disabled representative on the group because there, there were there were lots of different categories that were trying to get a broad 
mix of fans. Um, and I put myself forward as that. I think there was three other people in contention and, and uh, I got the most votes. And uh, I think about the beginning of June that year, the uh, the names were announced. And that probably leads to you talking about uh, who the um, who the other people were, Steve, on that group. So we, we were waiting for our all things to happen and get together and meet. And uh, we had the, we, we then learned that Steve was going to be the, the, the fans liaison officer, which I, I can't remember whether I'd met Steve before that or not. I can't admit. I certainly knew of you, Steve. And, uh, um, there we go, Steve. There's a picture of uh, you. Um, yeah, and Lord. so you're, you're down as the disabled representative. Then we've got ethnic minority. was a guy yeah, called David well. Tua. Um, bringing children under 14 uh, was our good friend Brian Williams. God oh, he bless him. Away, didn't he? No yeah. longer with us. Um, uh, lots of uh, love to his family. I used to travel to away games with Brian. Then we had uh, a female representative, which was Marion Williams. And she was, six... We elected her chair, didn't we? Because she, she, she actually travelled up every day with us, every week with her son from, I think it was Norwich, I think she travelled up from, if I remember rightly. Um, That's right. She was, she was a good leader because she wasn't, she wasn't your typical fan, you know, that you would relate to being a you know, the lady in, in traveling and, and uh, you know, seeing it from a, um, a, a, a good point of view. And she, she, was, she was a good leader, I think. And things would have worked out well with her as in charge. Yeah, the over 65 category was a guy called Mark Havery. And then travel to eight or more away games was uh, Michael Murray. I remember him um, going on a lot of away games with Michael over the years. He used to go on Spouse Bus from Wardley. Um, then we had uh, general uh, representatives on the board, some rather well-known faces there. Uh, Jeff O'Brien, who eventually yeah. went on to become Lord Mayor of Newcastle. Yes, that's right. Uh, then we had Simon Lindsay, Glenn Jackson. I remember Glenn uh, was, was quite uh, prolific in fan organisations over the years. Ian Gilmore, a uh, bus driver now, but... Um, Probably remember his dad uh, better, Frank Gilmore, who was actually the Independent Newcastle United Supporters Association chairman, running that from the Benton Ale House for many years. Uh, Ian Ferguson, um, who did write a, a column or two in the mag, I remember, he used to travel from Scotland for the games, was a nice guy. Uh, and rounding up, we had uh, Peter Carpenter and a guy called Jim Beresford. So that was the fans liaison committee. And the reason I was holding the programme up earlier is that's where I got that from. So I'm not sure whether you've got it, Steve. Newcastle versus Sunderland, Sunday the 26th of August, 2001. Um, you, actually made, you actually made the programme. So uh, <laughs> that was interesting. But I mean, like, what did you have to do for the, for the actual process of putting yourself forward? I mean, did you have to fill a form in? Did you have to put a statement down for... Yeah, uh... we, we all had to do statements, um, which I, I think the, the, they sent out a, a bulletin or it was in, in the programme again. There, there was a, you had to do a statement and with the photograph that you've got there. And uh, it, the election was all held really officially. And I think there was quite a few thousand votes. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was a decent thing. And the and fans... You know, we, we, you know, you you got to talk to people who had seen your name in the photograph, and they, they were interested in what was happening. So I think it it did attract a lot of interest in how it was going to develop, and you know, we had we had strong hopes that things were going to work out. Yeah, we did, and and like you, you know, basically the spanner was thrown into the works when <laughs> I was I was announced uh, a, a little later as Fansley as an officer. Now, how I got that job. Uh, was probably one of the most bizarre experiences of my life because 
As I mentioned previously, Rogan Taylor had put this letter into the club advising that they took on me as a fans liaison officer to be the, the buffer, if you like, between the fans liaison committee and the board of directors. Um, so I got a phone call out of the blue from a guy called David Stonehouse. Now, David Stonehouse, for those uh, who may recognise the name but not know exactly who he is, well, he had, had a degree of success down the road uh, at Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Um, he had essentially turned... Financial director uh, there, wasn't he, I think? Turned there... Well, yeah, he was a financial director down there, but he'd, he'd been a bit like Freddie Fletcher down at, down in Wearside. And um, he had done, he'd done you know, great things down there, really turned things around. So David uh, was headhunted, if you like, by Newcastle United and brought in as chief executive at Newcastle United. Now, I got a phone call off David to say, would I mind going up to the club uh, for a coffee and have a chat with him? So, yeah, I said, no problem. I'll come up. Went up to uh, see David, um, went up to level five. Uh, he took us into the boardroom and we sat and chatted about football. I had a great time just talking about the team, talking about, you know, potential new signings, talking about, what you know, his visions for the club, what he wanted to do. And it was then that he said, you, you, you've helped Rogan Taylor with the fans liaison committee. Um, he's advised that we offer uh, somebody the role of fans liaison officer. Would you be interested? And I was like, wow, I'm getting offered a job at the club. And he goes, yeah. He says, um, not sure how it's going to work yet, but you'll have been aware of the elections. We noticed you didn't put yourself forward for the elections and Rogan Taylor feels you would be good as a fans liaison officer. It's a role we've never had at the club before, but you would be the first. And I said, well, what what, what would I need to do? I, at the time, I was working on the door. I was doing five nights a week in Newcastle. And he said, we don't actually know yet. It's a, it's a job we've never had before. Um, maybe you could give, go away, have some thought and come back and give us some ideas of what you would want from this. I, I shook my head. Uh, and walked away and I came out in a bit of a daze and I remember ringing my dad and saying the club's kind of offered us a job but I'm not 100% sure what they've offered us so anyway I went, went and met my dad we um, we had a sit down we had a chat about it um, and I, you know I was I was scratching my head a little bit other than knowing that I would have to meet the elected committee um, at each meeting that they came to I wasn't sure what else I was supposed to be doing as fans liaison officer and the fact that the club didn't really know either really just made it a bit of a, a weird situation. Anyway, I gave it a couple of days. I emailed David back and said, look, I'd be delighted to take the role as fans of the year as an officer. You know, who wouldn't accept a job from the football club that you love? Um, could I come back in next week and have a discussion about what you what you think and what I think after I've had a bit more time to think about it? So that's what I did. So I went back in a week later. We sat down. We chatted. We agreed in principle that it would be a minimum of two days a week. But if I found myself doing a, a project uh, which I considered would take more time, then I had the option of increasing my hours at the club um, as I saw fit. And we agreed that the first couple of weeks that I would come in and have a bit of a getting to know you session with everybody behind the scenes at the club and essentially, you know, that's what I did. I would be working a five day week for the first couple of weeks and see how it went. When it came to the discussion on wages, again, I was like, well, what on earth do I ask? You know, what do I ask? And I'd had this conversation with my dad. And I said to my dad, well, I don't want to be too greedy, but at the same time, I don't want to sell myself short. 
And I said, to be honest, if I get my season ticket money back, I'll be happy. <laughs> my dad goes, you can't go in that short. Um, so, so I agreed in principle on taking a hundred pound a day. Bearing in mind, I was only going to be doing two days a week. So, two hundred pound a week, i.e., you know, for, you know, over a month is eight hundred pound a month, which you know, in two thousand and one, was a decent wage for a young lad on Tyneside who essentially was going in to do a job which might have had a great workload, might not have had a great workload, but that is what I agreed on. So the club shook hands on that and away we went. Went out to go back in to see Pam Nicola, who was head of HR, had to sign the contract and I had to do a declaration. Um, uh, anything that I felt was going to be um, basically, how can I put it, damaging to the club, anything that I wanted to put forward. And I've got to be careful with this because, as you'll find out later on, um, I, my, my fallout with the club was rather spectacular. However, the, the things that I declared, shall we say, prior to going into the football club uh, were declared in writing and were there for all to see. So, um, once uh, that was all done and the paperwork was dotted, uh, we then had a photo shoot, uh, which eventually... Went out in the program uh, on the first of October, uh, no, the first of November. Uh, Bradford City at home in the Worthington Cup, uh, and there it is, my moment of glory. Steve Wraith in the program, not quite a page seven fella, uh, but uh, essentially there in a in a rather tasteful black and white jumper, I think, with the poppy on. Was November after all, and uh, my explanation as to what what my role was going to be at the club. Uh, David Stonehouse put out a press statement, um, which he asked me to contribute to. And it was quite interesting. I was checking back through the Independent and it said, Newcastle United yesterday took a further step towards improving relations with their supporters with the appointment of a fans liaison officer. Following a report drawn up by football academic Rogan Taylor, Steve Wraith, the former editor of the number nine fanzine, is to work for two days a week as an independent link between the club and its supporters. His appointment is the latest move in a process aimed at restoring the bond damaged by a series of public relation disasters in recent years. My quote at the time was, I'm delighted to have been given this opportunity to work towards developing a better relationship between Newcastle United and its supporters, which is something I've been striving for for many years, Wraith said. And David Stonehouse said, we hope supporters will agree that Steve will be more than acceptable as a line between the club and our fans. We have every confidence in Steve being able to put forward a balanced, unbiased opinion to both the club and the fans and we look forward to working with him. And that was actually on the yellow ticker tape on Sky at the time. Uh, <laughs> Newcastle United appoint fans liaison up So, but you know, if it wasn't, if it didn't feel real by then, it certainly did. Now, where did all the problems start? And this is what this show's been, you know, covering a great deal. Well, let's just say it didn't go down too well in certain fanzines. Um, and I'm somebody who keeps everything. Certainly, if it's reflecting on me and this particular fanzine um although it starts off with a positive about the fans liaison officer job um basically it starts having a pop at you know they started having a pop at me and from my perspective they, they didn't want me to have the job they felt that the fans liaison officer position was was a good one um but if you see at the bottom it says naturally the fans liaison officer garbage is a joke uh, the club's uh, the club's poodle. As many suspected, the statement about improving club fan relationships 
Um, it only formed part of a PR spin to curry favour uh, within the city, who must view the goings on at St James's Park with more than a little of amusement. Now, that was in True Faith, and True Faith continued um, going on and on and on and on about my appointment as fans liaison officer. Uh, Steve Wraith, and this is the appointment, ex-editor of the number nine fanzine, appointment as fans liaison officer, has raised a few eyebrows. To date, there isn't a fans liaison committee to liaise with. Um, it might have been preferable had the liaison committee had a role in it, appointing the person to liaise between them and the club. Naturally, we wish Steve all the best, tongue in cheek. And if he can improve the atmosphere between the club and its stakeholders, great. As previously stated in True Faith, we have misgivings about the supporters liaison committee because it will uh, take a shareholder's trust is a different prospect altogether. And we hear things are moving along swimmingly on that score. We'll have news for you soon. Um, look, it wasn't my fault that the club appointed me, but already people were having a pop. And this is where my problem started as a Newcastle United supporter. I was offered an opportunity by the club, which other people felt they should have had. They didn't get it. I got it and they didn't like it. And this is where all of my problems started as a supporter. So, you've got the gist of it. Steve's now on the committee. I'm now the fans liaison officer. Um, what was your take, Steve Wilkinson, on on the news that I'd been appointed? You didn't know me. You mentioned that earlier. But what yeah. was your news that a fans liaison officer who hadn't been elected had been appointed? Well, I think the the idea of how it was going to work was was interesting because it 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 certainly needed somebody in the middle. I think had we got together and and had you come at the meetings and being a a stranger in the club, I think it would have been different. So I think it was, but I think it put you in a difficult position when we, when we start to have meetings because um, you were a fan, but you were also an employee, and I think it was a it was difficult wearing those two hats. Um, you, you're probably going to go into that more detail with, as, as you as your time experiment but that was the that was the initial thoughts well at least it's it's a fan that's the got the job so that's good uh, I, I, I think I felt before we, we started um, but I wasn't sure how it was going to work you know because we didn't really know it, it was a bit like you you said you didn't you had a brief of what um, well a brief that you they didn't really know how it was going to work and I think the fans and committee had the same other than it being a a, a voice because it had been elected it was meant to represent the fans because the fans had voted it and so I think we we probably thought we had a chance of talking to the club and, and maybe weren't sure how it was going to work uh, yeah I remember a lot of negativity from from certain certain people you weren't one of them but there was certain people on there Brian Williams was an ally for me um we knew each other from the game um and and he seemed to get on David Tua nice guy. I, I didn't know how to take Marion, um, and I don't think she knew how to take me. Uh, I got on very well with Michael, um, so I had no issues there. Ian Ferguson, we, we, we built up a decent relationship. I knew Ian Gilmore because of um, the Independent Castle United Supporters Association. Jeff spoke his mind, typical politician, wasn't, wasn't 100% convinced about me, but we ended up becoming good friends. Um, and then the other guys... Didn't have too much to do with them. Saw them at games, etc. Didn't have too much to do with them. But there was one or two negative people about me. And and, and again, it was probably swayed a little bit by the, the other people's opinions within the fanzines. Mitch, what do you remember about this whole scenario? 
what people might realise is at that time I was writing for that particular fanzine myself. And a lot they were a lot of the guys who I was going to away games with at the time. Um who so, you know, my feeling was that and and as Steve Mr Hasty will 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 back up the history repeats itself all over again. That when they think they somebody else has something that they should be doing or is doing something that they think they should be doing, they inevitably turn on them. Um, they turned on me, and and frankly, it's water, water for ducks back as far as I'm concerned. Um, but <clears throat> obviously, I, I I didn't know you as well then, but I always had an open mind to it. And and had I not been so committed career wise at the time, but I would have been put myself forward for this kind of thing, no doubt about it. Uh, and really, if you think about it, what what an almost a golden opportunity to be offered a job by the club that they don't really know what you want you to do. So it's like, right, we want you to work for it. You write your job description and you tell us how much you want to be paid for it. It it sounds on on paper fantastic, but but it as ever with a lot of these things at Newcastle United when it comes to trying to work. With a fan base to get a fan base united, um, it's a poison chalice. It's an absolute poison chalice. Um, it's not so much herding cats then; it becomes herding hungry tigers, and you don't know which one's going to bite your hand off. And it's and it's very very difficult because we keep talking about what failures we have in terms of communication with the club. And and it's not just communication with the club, it's communication within the fan base. And the repeated word is trust. Nobody trusts anybody else to do the job other than the way that they want it, want it done. And they're very, very quick to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. Oh, but you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. And it's really very, very difficult to bring everybody together where that absolute air of total mistrust just hangs over constantly not just from the club to the fan base, but within the fan base too. Um, and that seems to be the perpetual frustration of trying to improve communication with the club. Yeah, I think Keith, the, can, I, can I just oh, come on, and say, I, th- I think the, the, the possible sequence was wrong. Um, I think if they'd had the fans liaison committee more established before announcing you, because it was that lull of, of you had this job without a, without a brief, and, and nobody knew where it was going to go. They knew the committee was coming along, but they didn't know anything more about it. And if if we'd, if they'd been nearer the time and had a chance to to, to give a more defined role and, and announce the role so that everybody fully understood what was happening, it, it might have been more accepted. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, look, typical Newcastle. When did they do anything uh, right? Keith, your views just on, on this? Uh, at the time, uh, I was an avid reader of... Um... The market and the, and the, um, and the and trophy as well. So I didn't know you. You know, I didn't know you from Adam. I knew you had a fanzine. And when I used to get the fanzines, I used to get them at the airport when I was going away and things like that. I hadn't seen yours as much as theirs. So so the the, the marketing dominated by the mag and the trophy. So I obviously read all the stuff, the negative stuff really, um, about you. And I, I, I went to the club. I mean, what, what year would that be, Steve, when you were up there? Uh, it was 2000 when the concept was brought in, but 2001 when the fans liaison committee was set up. It was 2000, season 2000, 2001. 
Because I, I came up with the, with the, on one of those meetings where and the, the night I came up was the night we signed Carl Court and uh, Stonehouse was there and I came up with Mickey Edmondson and I think Michael Martin and Mark I was there Jensen. that night. Hi. I was there. So, so, so I came, I was invited up to the club and uh, Mickey Edmondson, Mark Jensen, Michael Martin and me and uh, and we we're in there. I remember sitting in, in one of those boardrooms and uh, Stonehouse come in and he said, said, oh, look, you've got to be... And they made us wait for a meeting and they said, we're making a big signing. And they were all laughed because they said, I said, who is it? And, and they said, oh, it's a striker. We're all like buzzing, thinking who it could be. You, you obviously put the names out. And when they said it was Carl Court, I made a comment and said, God, I, I was wanting someone that me Nana would know. You know what I mean? Not Carl Court, because he was like pretty unheard of and not a, like a, a great signing. And one minute we were up there thinking it was like 20 million superstar, next minute it was 7 million. It was Carl Court, and he, he was like, you know, had no great reputation, what didn't turn out to be a good player. So we went up there that time and, and got took in the boardroom where you, where, where you lot were. And, and again, the perception amongst fans would be what we read in fanzines. That, that, that sort of, you know, they didn't talk you up. Um, and when they, they say tongue in cheek, they wish you best, you know, off, off, off piece, they would be saying, like, you know, how has he got the job? So, so I didn't know you at all, mm. didn't know what you're about, didn't know where you come from. I just heard, oh, I used to do a number nine fanzine. As far as needing it goes, you know, I remember clearly that the club needed to build some bridges, you know, they, they needed to, um, to create this role. Um, and it, it just seemed for fans that, that Newcastle's um, communications it back then wasn't great and it was in great need. So, so I wouldn't have a clue who you were, whether you're the right one, but certainly the feeling that we read was you should have had the job. You know what I mean? I mean, so, behind, behind the scenes, things weren't going according to plan either. Right from the right. start, I've got to that's be honest, right. because... From from my perspective, um, I took the job. I, I was I was greeted with a hail of criticism from my peers. Um, I then walk in on my very first day at Newcastle United to be, as Oz would say in our Fidesian pet, about as welcome as a fart in an astronaut suit. Because um, <laughs> as I got there, I had to report to Pam Nickel, the head of HR. Um, that was fine. I then went to see uh, David Stonehouse, um, who welcomed us to the club. We had a chat. Yeah. Um, he then took us to see uh, the new head of marketing at the time, a, a lovely woman called Carol Beverly, who um, she had big plans. She'd really just been appointed by the club and she was she was taking over uh, the marketing side of things. And um, from my perspective, I thought, well, this is great. Uh, I had to go and get my photograph taken by um, the head of security at the time. I had to get my laminate badge sorted out. But then I was expected to be taken up to the, the media department where I was going to have a desk, a chair and a computer. Uh, pretty basic when you start a job at a football club. Uh, however, this is where my problem started because I was greeted by the head of PR and media at the time, who was a woman called Hazel Greener. And Hazel definitely didn't want me there. Um, she wasn't happy whatsoever that I was there um, because she had a fan now walking around her media department. I was also starting with a guy who is still currently at the club, a guy called Mark Hannon, who went in as her number two, her assistant. Uh, he recently transferred over from the uh, the Basketball Association, where he was chief uh, head, head of media department over there. 
And uh, me and Mark had actually gone to matches together. In fact, I remember the infamous 4-3 against Liverpool. Mark couldn't get a ticket and I actually got him one. Unfortunately for Mark, it was in the home stand. And uh, we had to run across Stanley Park together when Collie Moore got the winner with people threatening to chop our throat um, uh, during, during that game because we couldn't help celebrate when Newcastle scored. Anyway, I diversified from, from that and moved back to their story. So anyway, I, I'm literally stuck on uh, the media department level, uh, talking to Hazel, um, and she basically says, well, I haven't got a chair for you. I haven't got a desk for you. I haven't got a computer for you. So I literally had to go and sit on a, another woman's desk, uh, Judy, bless her, who was um, starting off um, the new uh, fans' um, response uh, side of things. So she was basically dealing with complaint letters. And she said, well, I'm not sure why why you sit next to me. She says, but, you know, I, I guess I could get the complaint letters out um, and you can maybe look through them today. So she plonks two big files next to next to us and I just started going through people's complaints thinking they're going to sort as a desk or chair or phone or whatever out at some point. Two weeks later, I got me chair, I got me desk and I got me computer. Two weeks. So literally, I was in that football club reading through emails, reading through letters um, on a couple of occasions, meeting supporters who came to the club who weren't happy about locations of seats or about tickets going missing or whatever, uh, dealing with all of the, the, the you know, the, the run-of-the-mill stuff that you would expect somebody to deal with in that position. But other than that, I couldn't do a great deal more. And um, within, you know, it was two weeks later that I actually had my own desk. It was outside Hazel's office so she could keep an eye on us. So I was sitting there. There was Ian Horrocks. There was Paul Tully. Uh, there was me. Uh, there was Mark Hannon and there was Vicky, who was um, also working alongside the, the media department. We had a cracking little squad. Um, we got on really well. And I don't want to dwell too much on my time up there, other than, other than to say I did my best. And, you know, what I did manage to do was was create a database of supporters, the fan uh, the fan clubs over the, you know, all across the world. Um, you know, the, the supporters clubs in, in China, in Australia, in New Zealand, in America, you know, you name it. There's fans all over the world and th these little groups have been set up. And this, got to remember, this is really before social media started. We had friends reunited in MySpace, but we didn't have anything like we've got now. So I was I was making phone calls. I was I was emailing people. I was checking out these blogs that had started to appear online. And I was contacting these people and I started pulling in the database and feeding it back to the club. And I said, this could be massively beneficial to the football club because, you know, you could do deals for overseas supporters when they return. I says, Ireland, you know, is literally, um, you know, a, a, a hotbed of, of Northeast football fans. And, you know, you could get, do, do deals on, on tops, on tickets and whatever. And, and, you know, some people at the club understood and got where I was coming from, but other people just didn't see the point. And, and I always felt like I was, you know, basically fighting like a, a losing battle. Um, to be honest, the, the time I had there was great. Um, on my lunch hour, I would go and sit in the stand have me sandwich and, and, and look out on the pitch, you know, see the, the green, uh, you know, the green grass being cut by the, the groundsman. Um, and I just felt lucky every day that I was there. Uh, I would sometimes bump into Sir Bobby Robson in the, in the corridors and, he, you know, he'd want to stand and talk about football and have a chat. And, you know, I'd bump into one of the two of the players every now and then. But there was always a, a doubt, always a scepticism from those who I was working in and around. And, you um, 
gradually the you know the, the stuff in the fanzines became more and more prevalent and articles kept appearing mm. in, in true faith power to the people i mean that particular article is just you know i'll read the, the byline being a regular true faith reader i've picked up from several articles and editorials that the category of contributors that you do um that you do not have an awful lot of time for the whole concept of a fans liaison committee or the fans liaison officer and it just goes on to rip me apart and rip the group apart and more or less say that it's just a, a waste of time. And, you know, it, it, it you know, written by somebody called Tommy the Axe. Um, I, I doubt it was a guy called Tommy the Axe. I can imagine exactly reading that, who wrote that article. And, and from my perspective, it was just character assassination. It was, you know, the, the odd mention of the Cray twins, um, you know, readers letters coming in from John from Benwell. Um, you know, saying it's a disgrace having Steve Wraith at the club because of his association with the Cray Twins. Um, so we didn't have social media, but we had fanzines which were attacking me on a regular basis and making my job impossible. NUFC.com had started up as well. And, um, you know, there was always some tongue-in-cheek comment about the lack of activity from the fans, liaison officer or the committee. And I just felt disappointed. I just felt I hadn't been given a cat in hell's chance to do the job. And I was starting to become more and more disillusioned with it. In those early days when, you know, I was I was going in and doing, you know, a few days a week and, and making inroads into stuff, I just felt that this job is getting more and more um, impossible. It was an impossible position to be in, an impossible job. The meetings themselves, I felt, um, at the first were, were beneficial. I felt that the committee were were, were picked, you know, were, were buoyed by it and they were enjoying the, the meetings. But it became more apparent, especially when I built up a friendship with the likes of Brian Williams, that they just were all disillusioned with it. They, it wasn't what they said it was. They were hoping to have more power. They were hoping to have more say. And they felt that it was a talking shop. And they had started to read the articles and felt, you know, that this was it. And I guess I didn't, I couldn't load this one because it's too big. But I think this one, Happy Birthday, Fans Liaison Committee, which was written by Ian Ferguson, who was on the Fans Liaison Committee and submitted to the mag, uh, was actually... You know, it was almost like the final straw. It was a year on, um, and he more or less condemned the fans liaison committee in the biggest selling fanzine in the fan base in the mag. And um, I just how, how do you how do you think the, the the fact that David Stonehouse had gone not long after the group was picked up made a difference? Because I, I I remember Russell Cushion didn't seem interested in it. He took over from Stonehouse. I, I would agree he, with he you there. And Russell Cushion Russell Cushion basically invited me up when he took over from David. Um, David left under a cloud and left a big cloud hanging over the club mm. when he left. And we never got to the bottom of it. I have an idea why he left, but it's something I wouldn't I wouldn't say because I wouldn't want legal action. However, the situation then presented itself that Russell Cushion was put in his position. And Russell called me into his office, literally said, do you want a cup of tea? Um, I was made a cup of tea by somebody who's a well-known uh, official at the club now these days. And... Then I ended up in a position where Russell came in and said, well, Steve, as you know, I've taken over from David Stonehouse. Um, all I'm going to say to you is you watch your back and I'll watch mine. And that was it. That was it. So I then knew it was literally the beginning and the end of my job at the club and that the fans liaison committee would probably go the same way. Actually, um, I, thought, I thought the committee was, was, was dead then because uh, yeah. you just got the sense... Um, yeah. that, that Russell Cushion wasn't interested in it. I, I can't say too much about why I eventually left the club, but what I can say is that I, I ended up having to take the club to uh, a tribunal. 
something which I didn't want to do, but I had to take the club to a tribunal for unfair dismissal. And I won my case. And that is all I'm allowed to say, because obviously I had to sign... Um, you know, a disclaimer, uh, uh, you know, to, if I wanted to, to take them to court, I had to say that, you know, if they had, if they lost the case and they had to pay me out, then that would be the case. And I, I won my case against the football club. Not something I, I really wanted to have to do, but I was an employee. I had rights. I got onto my union and my union, you know, basically said, well, this is what happened. And a lot of that ties in with what I'd said when I first started at the club. I'm an honest person, as, as you guys know. Um, and... I don't hide anything from anybody, and especially when work's concerned. And I laid it on the line with the club. The club had clearly forgotten what I'd said at the opening interview. And when I referred back to my notes and gave that to the, um, the, the GMB, who I was with at the time, uh, they laid that out to the judge and um, the rest is history. So, so yeah, I left the club under a cloud. Um, you know, the, the new dawn for supporters was no more. And I guess everybody at True Faith was delighted because they got what they wanted. They didn't want me in a position at the club. And um, you know they could all concentrate on being, you know, you know, you know, being, um, you know, pushing, pushing towards this supporters' trust. And people may think that's the reason I'm bitter towards the trust. It's not at all. Uh, we've covered that in previous shows. Uh, but that is the, really the full story of the fans liaison officers' job and the fans liaison committee. Steve, I mean, how did you feel? And, and, and what what was the final straw? And, and when did you when did you disband? Well, I, I can't quite remember, but it, it, it was we weren't getting anywhere really. You, you, you were, I think, you know, there, there was lots of good ideas coming forward, but there, there, was, there just wasn't the interface with the club that I think we expected. And, and you know, I think we were conscious that it, it hadn't been totally received well uh, amongst the fans. So I, I think it was it was looking as though it was it was going to go nowhere, and it was just a talking shop. You know, we got we got together sometimes before the match. Um, we didn't meet many times. The, the brief was only to meet four times a year. So I, I don't think we had that many meetings. Um, you know, and the early ones were really getting ourselves organised, you know, electing Marion as chair and, and other roles. Um, although we did have, you know, some discussions of the, the thing. And I think they organising the mandate and what we were allowed to talk about and what we weren't. Because, you know, as usual, you would always want to be, as, as a group of fans, interested in the whole thing of the club. And it was, it was really defining the remit. Oh, yeah, you can talk about how the ticket office is run and you can talk about that sort of thing, but you, you can't talk about team selection and all the sort of stuff that fans were interested in in some ways. But, you know, I think we knew we couldn't do that. But I think we, we, we wanted more communication with the club, which was, you know, what really why the whole thing was put together. And, and it's still the issue. But com communication has always been the problem. Yeah, certainly has. Um, I did, however, get uh, something... Something which I'm I'm proud of, headed new headed paper. I did get a good reference off the club, so uh, at least I've got that. And I still have a contract upstairs with Newcastle United, and that's not bad for somebody who's got two left feet. So at least I can say, at least I can say I signed a contract with Newcastle. Not many people can say that. Okay, uh, that's enough on the fans' liaison committee. But uh, I'm pleased we did that, and uh, I, you know it, it's. It's not, it's not easy to go back through that for me. I've got to be perfectly honest on a personal level because something I felt I could have done a good job at. And I know now if I, if I was in that position, I would be a lot more prepared. I was only a young lad uh, back in those days. So, um, you know, a young lad thrust into a, a job which the club hadn't got a clue what they wanted us to do. So a little bit, a little bit strange, but a uh, bit of history nonetheless. Um, OK, let's talk fans forum. Um, 
And I'll, I'll come to you, Steve Hasty, first on this. Fan, fans Forum, tell us a little bit about the Fans Forum and what it was about. Because in the last episode, we, we touched on NUFC Fans United, the strive for more communication. You know, 20-odd years on, we're still doing the same. But, you know, tell us about the Fans Forum and how that came about. And I know you and Steve Wilkinson were both part of that in the early days. That's right. I mean, I, I think I had a bit of an advantage to what had happened on the Fans Liaison Group. Uh, because by then I was able to learn from what had happened with you, Steve, and hear from Steve Wilkinson exactly what the problems were or what, what where they felt it was going wrong or went wrong. Um, so we were, able to, we were able to learn from that. We, we actually had a, a, a phone call which or an email which resulted in a meeting with Wendy Taylor, who uh, was the, uh, the press officer. And um, we met with her in the strawberry. Uh, I think Zara was there, myself, a few others. And the one thing that came out of that meeting was that she felt um, that there was she she had been specifically told to try and get some fans together who could galvanise other fans to help start a fans liaison group again, or, or as they were wanting to call it, the fans forum. Uh, Wendy was there, um, Simon Esland, if I remember rightly. Um, who was playing the role of a support as liaison officer at the time. I don't think he had two hats like Lee Marshall ended up with, but um, they, they, wanted to, they wanted to start this communication. This was coming from her and from Simon, and she was hearing it from the top. Let's, let's start this liaison with, with fans. Let's see what we can get. Obviously, we'd had the, we'd had the 2009 situation, 2008 with Keegan, 2009. We were, we were moving into 2011 with... We'd already had that little bit of of um, toing and froing um, that we heard that, about um, on one of the previous shows um, <coughs> with with Neil and myself and our ability to talk to to Derek Lambias, etc. But uh, there was a desire for to get groups together, but it was how it was going to how it how it could mature and i think one of our big fears was that we would just end up in the same situation as you, as you guys were and i think one of the big things that we noticed at the time was you never got any early wins there was nothing that you could hang your hat on and say you'd done this you'd done that we brought that to the club the club agreed to it etc cetera, etc cetera. um so anyway it was ostensibly the Myself, a few others. Um, we wanted we wanted to have this. We saw communication as being important, and um, sat with the club, talked it through with Wendy. Said, you know, would would we be willing to be part of it? Would we would be would we like to be part of a, of this group? Could we encourage others? How do you think it would work? How could we get onto it? Um, and it was that's when the format was kind of put into place, whereby you would have a representative from the over 65s, you'd have a representative from the Gallagher end, the East Stand, the the, the, the Milburn, and uh, the Leasers end. You'd have someone from the corporate who could represent the corporate area, so someone who was part of a of a of a corporate team or a company that had a box, and they were trying to get um, all sorts of of of, of different. A different feel um, from all different aspects. You had fans that only travelled to away games. You had fans that were not season ticket holders but were members. You also had fans who um, were representing uh, fans who travelled to the ground from you know more than 150 mile away. Um, all sorts of, of, of different 
different people were were or areas were, were wanting to be covered. So it was decided that the best thing to do would be to for for the club to go out um put a note out to season ticket holders and to and to supporters in general and say, would you like to put yourself forward? Um we will then um either do a ballot or we'll do a draw or whatever. It wasn't for us to as a as support as to decide who was going to sit in the committee. The club took that role and responsibility on. People had to <coughs> write their own pen picture and say why the, what they, what they felt as though they could bring to the role. Um and then the club um selected all the all the various participants and uh, off we went. We were invited up for the very, very first fans forum meeting. Um and what was what we said was vitally important was that this meeting wasn't just talking to the fans among themselves, and it wasn't just talking to Simon Esland as the fans liaison officer, um, and it wasn't just talking to Wendy from the press. There needed to be proper bodies with responsibilities, um, names. So we needed Derek Lambias there. We needed John Irvin there. We, John Irvin was the finance director, so we want to ask questions about finance. Um, we we needed people from the or the club decided they needed people there from the ticket office. Um, they decided the the guys who were responsible for the uh, the maintenance of the ground and and etc. You know they would be there, and so you could you could ask a question, and there would be somebody there who had the responsibility either to go away and get the answer or to give the answer on the day. Um, that was the way that they wanted to operate. Um, but they also wanted to formalise it. They wanted to have an agenda. Um, so we had key points that could be that would be brought up. There was always going to be in any other business part anyway. Um, but there was also um, a code of conduct that you had to sign up to. And the code of conduct was just that you were respectful to the people around the room, but also you're respectful to the process and you're respectful to the fact that um, the, the club um, were obviously wanted to have an element of control in terms of what was going to go out at, um, after the meeting. <coughs> so there would be minutes taken, minutes agreed, and then the minutes would be distributed. Um, and it would be try and get as quick as turnover as you possibly could. Obviously, some people weren't on email, it might have been difficult or whatever, but the vast majority of people were. Um, so we had our very first meeting. Um, it was a very interesting meeting. Um, it was quite fraught at times because... There was definitely um, the way that the room was set up, I remember. Um, it was very much everybody in a line, then everybody in another line and facing each other. It was like, you know, this wasn't the Knights of the Round Table this, by any stretch of the imagination. This was very much a sort of, you know, um, like a war cabinet meeting with uh, with the with the, the, the sort of allies on one side and the... And the the, the, the enemy facing them and you were trying to come up with some sort of peace plan between us you know it was it, it was it was almost like that situation that you have there uh, with North Korea and South Korea and you're expecting security guards on either side to be standing there and stepping in the way and you had a no man's land in front of you you know so the atmosphere wasn't wasn't the you know wasn't conducive if you like um that very first time um but we held the meeting um and I think, you know, history, everybody knows what happened. Um, the Supporters Trust um, published a set of minutes um, of their their sort of opinion on how all of the points had been discussed, what had been discussed and what the outcomes were. But unfortunately, that happened before those who were in attendance at the meeting had agreed to the minutes being seen 
and the club, you know, because it was the club that was supposed to be writing the minutes. So one meeting in and all hell was let loose. You know, it was just mayhem for the next couple of weeks. There was just absolute, you know, all the trust had gone, if you like, straight away between the people in the room on one side and the people in the room on the other because there had been a breach, which whether or not you could, you know, looking back, you could say, you know what, there was an overreaction. I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, but you know, if I if I went back to the email trail and and, and showed you, you would be you'd be amazed that a some of the personalities that were in the room, some of the opinions on what had happened and and how it had um, how it had occurred, and more importantly, what should be done about the about the people um, or the person or the the group who had put the minutes out, um, and I, I think virtually to a man, people felt aggrieved. They felt annoyed. They felt let down. Um, and they felt as though it was a, a, a breach of um, of all of the the sort of um, way that we were expected to react or expected to uh, to to act in in that environment. Um, the club, we then held, you know, there was a, a series of, of messages flying back and forward. There was a, a another another meeting held. And uh, at the next meeting, um, I think the trust were asked to, to stand down, not attend. And um, basically, to a man, a vote was a vote was held by um, all those who could attend the meeting. And they were asked, did they think that the, 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 the trust should be allowed to attend in future, bearing in mind what they've done? And um, it was almost a unanimous, no, they shouldn't be in the room. They've... they've Breached our confidences, they breached my confidence, your confidence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and as I say, if if I, if I mentioned some of the names, which I'm not going to do, but but anyone can look back at those minutes, they can see see the individuals um, who were vehemently um, against the trust being part of that setup. Now, what transpired obviously was that we carried on with the fans forum, but immediately, very similar to you, Steve, we then had the situation of fanzines. Um, attacking the process, attacking the individuals, attacking the process, attacking the whole system, attacking the way that the people were selected. They thought there should have been an election among fans. Uh, that worked last time, didn't it? They were against it then, but it was, they wanted it now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, they were against the individuals. They were against the fact that you know they were vehemently annoyed that the trust had just been struck off. Um, and told that they couldn't attend anymore because they, they, they weren't acting in, in, in the right faith, if you like, of how it was created. Um, and it just became, from that moment on, it became an absolute maelstrom of a mess. Um, the meetings themselves were great. The, you know, every, everything that, were, that was uh, said to the club, everything that was put forward, the discussions, that was great. But what would happen was, you was you were always having that chip 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 away um, behind the scenes undermining either individuals or collectively the group. Um, no matter what you did, no matter what you came up with, you were always in the wrong. You could it was a it was a, a no win situation. But you know what? You just kept at it and thought you know don't let the bastards grind you down. 
not going to put up with this, you know. Um, we haven't done anything wrong. We're in the right. You know, we, 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 we wanted to have communication. The vast majority of fans still wanted the club to communicate with supporters. And I think there was a, there was a realignment, if you like, among um, certain aspects of, of, of fans. Um, there was a, a, an understanding from the club that those who were attending those meetings and, and volunteer, as volunteers and representing and coming up with some very, very salient points that the club could take away that were all designed to help the club move forward, to help the fan experience or whatever you want to call it, um, and, and to make the club... Um, understand more about what fans wanted, <coughs> um, and they they appreciated that we were getting it in the neck, just for just for being in that room. We were, you know, we were targets. You know, you were walking around at the match with a target on your back, quite frankly. I've I've, I've continued to walk around that, that ground with a target on my back um, f- since probably that point. You know, that and I, I can I can bring up. Instances back as far, you know, as, as close as 2018, when I was still getting grief, still having people who would would give me grief because of the, of my position on the fans forum. The club, I, I could say the club didn't help, but I could say the club helped helped immensely. Did it help the fans united group because they were given a permanent place on the forum? Um, in the eyes of certain uh, fanzines, no. In the hands of certain individuals, no, because they felt as though we weren't a democratically elected group. But that's because the only other democratic or the only democratic elected group that we had um, had had soiled had soiled the system, had spoiled it. But having said that, virtually at every meeting that we held, and it was four meetings a year, we would raise the topic of bringing the trust back. And it was the club's decision not to bring them back. It wasn't the fans' decision not to bring them back. We asked for them. Have you had any more thoughts? It was asked virtually at every meeting. Have you had any more thoughts? It was also asked outside the meeting. Have you had any more thoughts on bringing them back? And it wasn't until a couple of years down the line, if not longer, that eventually from that prodding and poking that we were doing, that we finally managed to convince them that there should be a place and a permanent place on the forum for NUST. And eventually they were invited back. I think there were a number of meetings took place between their representatives and the club uh, where they kind of signed back up to the code of conduct. Um, there was an acceptance of what had happened in the past that was wrong, uh, what had what had gone wrong. But there's probably an acceptance on both parts that there was an overreaction. Um, but that's that's just conjecture from my part. Um, but certainly they were allowed back in. But if you look at some of the things, and this this is this is a great that I have, Steve. I, I saw I saw this week on Twitter, um, people putting out uh, new representatives of the board, for example, putting out um, tell give me your questions and I'll, these are the points. Tell me what points I should be bringing up with the with the club. And I thought I saw some of the some of the points that were being brought forward, and I thought, well, all you've got to do is look at the look at the previous meetings of virtually every fans forum that's been held since 2012, um, and you'll see that those topics have been well covered, well covered, well covered. In fact, even if you looked at what we'll probably talk about later, which is the totally new setup that they have as far as fans liaisons concerned and 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 uh, communication. 
Um, some of those topics were even covered as, as, as closely as December 2019. And yet we've got fans out there thinking that, you know, they can rewrite history or they can rewrite the script or that they're doing something totally fresh and it's never been done. Um, it's just crazy. Steve, um, we'll come to you, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll come to Mitch and Keith just just briefly on on your time with uh, the fans forum. But, I mean, I wasn't you, I wasn't you... too much involved with it actually. Um, I think what what years were you talking about? Because I, I I was I didn't come in as, as initially elected, but I, I, there was a guy called Mark Bradley, if I remember rightly, was facilitating the meetings. Who I knew is that right, Steve? Can you remember that name? Mark Steve Bradley? Hesley, can you remember Bradley? Uh, no, I don't, the name doesn't ring a bell. I must admit, it was, a guy, it was an outside guy. It had nothing to do with the club at all. It was was kind of facilitating. That was the sort of thing he did, right? Um, and, and he he got me to go because I think I wasn't one of the ones that got chosen to, to go. I think I had applied, but I, you know it was a, a random selection originally to yeah. get people on. And, and and he he said this fans forum was going on and and, and got me. I know I didn't go to very many, that, but it was that was it wasn't working. I don't think from what the one the couple I went to. I think that was the version of the fans forum that we talked about crushing the one before Steve was called back by Wendy Taylor because that was a very hand, almost hand-picked talking shop that talked about how sharp the chips were and somebody's written a rude word in the toilets and things like that. It was certainly not a a hard-hitting discussion forum. It It was very much doing... Something to tick a box for the for the Premier League. Um, yeah, that's right. Being, yeah. You know, yeah. And with with regard to what Steve's talking about with that that meeting with the trust, I mean, I, I was over here by then. Steve and I bounced those the the minutes the club eventually put out, um, along with the NUST self published minutes. And the the, the 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 sad thing there was, had the trust been smart, had they just instead of going off half cocked. If they just sat on it, they ended up folding and holding a pair of kings. Because I remember going through those meetings with Steve and a back and forth and email, and I think there was about five different things that if the trust had been smart and just let the process happen, the trust could have then had the club's pants down about four or five times over those first set, set of minutes yeah. and made, made the club look really stupid. Um, because some of the things that was were covered in that, that meeting were potentially embarrassing for the club. And all I had to do was just, just, whoa, just wait. But because of the lack of trust, because everybody was so keen to land the first punch, yeah. and, and that's, yeah. that's the relationship that's existed and still in part exists today, that... Um, they went off totally half cocked in an effort to, to get the to get the first blow in and say, right, got you. You've been del- you, you're, you're messing around already. You haven't published the minutes like you promised. You've done this. You've done that. So I'm going to get you. When all I had to do was let let the club keep digging, and once the club minutes came out, they'd already dug the hole, and all the trust had to do was just poke them in there with one finger. That would have been easy. Um, it would have been easy, and, and and that's that's such a crying shame. And then going forward, I think there's no recognition I've seen from anybody, anybody other than people who were close to Steve, <clears throat> for the work he did to get the trust back on that fans forum. 
And, and the biggest supporter and the person who worked the hardest to get them back involved again was Steve. And and he deserves a lot of credit for that because what after what had happened with the trust in Steve, he would, could have quite happily turned around and stuck two fingers up and said, so do you. Um, but never did because Steve sees the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is getting everybody at the table. And that means everybody, everybody you physically can. And getting them at the table in the right manner and in the right atmosphere. And build the bridges and build the trust. Have a conversation. You do far better pissing from the inside of the tent out than trying to piss from the outside in. And it it, it doesn't mean you're in bed with the club. It doesn't mean that you're a quizzling or a turncoat or a trailer. And many other words that have been chucked around with Steve, I must say. Um, It just means that you're open to try and create a dialogue to smooth the waves of whoever the owner is. Because there's no guarantee the next owners are going to get it right. And so it, it, there needs to be processes there to continue a dialogue. Yep. The ironic, the ironic thing is that as the as the fans as the, the fans forum moved on over the years, and it, it grew from strength to strength because the people there was a turnover. You would have somebody would be in for two years, and the half would drop out after a year, and then there would be fresh blood coming in, fresh emphasis, emphasis on various aspects. There was always a demand. There was always an interest from fans to be part of it. But what it also did, it 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 kind of that refresher, the refreshment that came, um, kind of stimulated the club as well. It it shook them up at times, um, because of the people that were coming in, because the people were then part of the part of the process, if you like. But what it also did, um. <sighs> Because of the question and because of the, the, the change in emphasis that took place, because it would it became it moved from being a, a confrontational to more of a dialogue, it gave those around the table more confidence to ask more probing questions or more interesting questions and move away from, you know, we've got a problem with a dead pigeon in the Gallagher end or the floor's slippy at the back of the East Stand um, or there's a hole in the roof. It moved from those type of things um, into more dynamic stuff because there was... There was certain there were certain ways that you could ask questions because you by then Lambias had gone, John Irvin had gone, Lee Charnley was there, Lee was quite open to any question. Uh, sometimes he wouldn't he wouldn't give an answer, but that's fair enough. That's what that's what the, the whole is about. And sometimes the lack of an answer is just as is just as important as the fact that they come up with some gobbledygook. And we suddenly noticed that there was an interest being taken by the press, certainly the local press, um, because at the time, certain pressmen were being banned. They weren't getting access to the club. They weren't getting access to managers. They weren't getting access to, to speaking to people in the club in the manner that they previously did. So the interest in, in our questions, it suddenly turned into... I'm getting phone calls. When are the when are the minutes coming out? When are the mm. minutes? You know, phone calls from guys in the press. When are the minutes coming out? <clears throat> guys in the radio. Any word? What, what day are the due? What, you know, you get a phone call. What what what's going to be asked at the fans forum this this time round, etc. And then the press guys would suddenly get 
four, five, six days worth because the minutes would when the minutes come out of 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 column inches, you know, um, talking about and and starting the dialogue and getting, you know, th this would create a, a, another set of questions that would then move on. Whether or not the club welcomed that or not is neither here nor there. It's not part of the. It's not part of my remit to say, oh, we can't do that because the club don't like it. Um, but it was the kind of, it was the monster that got created, if you like. It, the lack of the lack of information coming out of the club on a daily and weekly basis, but then having this open forum to discuss almost anything or to ask almost anything and to then have the press hanging on the word of what of Lee Charney with his answers to those questions, it it kind of also meant that those lads and lasses round the table became more dynamic with the questions that we're going to ask. And we also, we all, I mean, there was a lot of good things came out of that fans forum. I mean, you wouldn't have the strawberry place closed pre and post match day if it wasn't for the work that was done by supporters in the fans forum, for example. That wouldn't have occurred. That would never have occurred. That was a, that was a security feature that came about after a number of incidents at, at various um, sporting events, um, Christmas do's, etc., in Europe, where vehicles had been used as weapons, and we were everybody around the table was very keen to get that closed, stop this from happening. Um, can we have the strawberry place closed? And the, the aggro that we went through, and that you know, we went to meetings in the you know, as fans, as, as members of the fans forum. But as also as individuals, we went to the city council and we canvassed them to you've got to close this road. And we we had to, we were told we had to come up with a reason for it. So we did. We came up with a fully sensible, rational reason for why Strawberry Place should be closed on match days. The most important one being that there was a risk that somebody would drive a vehicle through there and use it as a weapon. Now we we also knew that there was something going on in the home office to do with what they call the last mile. And this was this was a, a, a policy, if you like, that was being developed on how security, they call it the last mile, it might not be a physical mile, it might be, you know, it might be five miles, it might be 250 yards, but it didn't really matter, but it was about how safe members of the public <coughs> would go to a sport event. And we were able to do something before any other football club in Britain um, with regards to stopping traffic outside the ground so that fans could leave that ground safely and, and securely and without the risk of somebody doing what subsequently has happened in London on a couple of occasions where vehicles have been used as weapons and continue to happen in Europe. So it's things like that where you, you work with a club and you get the full backing of the club to do it. You know, you get their full support. And when you when you then have to take it up with the city council and you've got the football club behind you, but you're doing it as supporters, you're doing it as a supporters group or you're doing it as individual supporters mm -hmm. with the collective um, force, if you like, of the football club behind you, you become a lot safer, a lot stronger, and you, and you become a lot more dynamic. So let's just just that as, a, as one example of, of Think how the fans work closely. I think if you look at it, I mean, the, the narrative that some people and one individual in particular would have for what Steve has been done with the club in terms of the fans forum is that he's up there every five minutes having a cup of tea and a Battenberg cake with Lee Charney and chatting about the weather. 
Um, and it couldn't be further from the bloody truth. No. And it's work like that that you see when you hear how much effort and time goes into that. Um, for the benefit of everybody, for the benefit of everybody at the football club with the entire backing of the football club, that only comes through sen- sensible dialogue. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't come through um, confrontational meetings and, and creating problems because there's enough problems yeah. and there's enough mistrust without creating additional, which is unnecessary, unnecessary waste of energy. Um, and and, and, it, and it, it, even as somebody who was only really involved at a distance, um, gratefully brought into certain email conversations, not just by Steve, but by people inside the club. Um, you know, it, it frustrates me greatly because you think if this worked right and if they could get this working right, it, it, it does return some power to the fan base a lot more than people realise and it only comes through sensible dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I think another, can, I, can I just say, I think that one of the things that you, you, you achieved there, but it, it, it's taken a long time to do it, and probably if you go back and a lot of the other things, it, it's not getting that quick win. The way you're, you're seen as doing something yeah. that is, is visibly yeah. positive. And that, that even goes right back to, to, to what I talked about the NSA, the, the early days. Opening the Gallagher Club was a, was a thing, but it, it was seen as negative because we got more experience. And, and it wasn't, yeah. you know, it, it, there, there's a, so you 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 want a downer getting getting criticised all the time, and I think that seems to be a, a common pattern all the way around. Fans liaison committee was the well, same. We didn't get a quick win. I, th- I think that was the 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 haste of the of NUST to produce their own minutes was they were desperate to get out those yeah. quick wins, and there was quick wins in there a lot more than they realised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all that to do was wait probably three days. Did you ever get paid, Steve? Did you Sorry? ever get paid for it? Do you ever get paid for any of this? No, joking. never. So, so how many years do you think you? How, how many years do you think you're involved in it? Uh, I think the first meeting. I think was the first meeting around about 2011, 2012, and the last the last meeting yeah. that we went to were December 2019, where I went to four meetings in four days. Um, eight, eight years. Christmas week, um, because what happened was that the um, it's quite ironic that there was a, there was. There was one particular meeting where the meeting went on for three and a half hours. This was in this was probably May to 2019. It went on for three and a half hours, and I don't think we got past item three on the agenda. And that was because um, a couple of individuals took it upon themselves, or one in particular, took it upon themselves to to continue hammering home certain aspects of uh, the fans forum, the way the club was operating, et cetera, et cetera, that, that weren't really part of the agenda, but became a logjam between two individuals, one being Lee Charnley and the other one being this particular person. And after three and a half hours and everybody's sitting around the table with this to and fro and going mainly between those two, um, I think people are using the losing the will to live, and I think at that point when it, when the meeting ended, uh, I heard that Lee Charney said that was it. There's going to be no more uh, fans forum meetings that are going to be conducted like that, where it was somebody trying to put him on the spot for three and a half hours in a searchlight, and he wasn't prepared to put up with it. Um, and it it wasn't good for him. It wasn't good for the rest of the people around the room. It wasn't good for the football club, and he wasn't going to have it anymore. 
And in future, we needed to find a different format. Now, I was dead against the new format that they put in. Because when it, when the new format was presented to us, it was presented um, it was presented in a way that that the club you know had put a bit of thought into. But basically, the four topics that we were going to talk about in future were the top four topics that got covered in any other business, you know, um, or may have, for example, ticketing. Maybe a topic on its own because there was a specific problem that had occurred um, on a set of cup tickets that had never arrived, away tickets that were um, not going out in the right way and fans were travelling to away games without a ticket and they were having to pick them up at the at the away ground and then they were having to, they weren't getting in on time or the club didn't, the away club didn't know what was going on and all sorts of that messy things that would, that would, you know, run of the mill stuff. But I felt as though the format wouldn't work, and I felt as though that it was it was being it was being kind not watered down. It was being destroyed. Um, but the rest of the, you know the vast majority of other people said, well, if this is all we're going to get, it's all we're going to get. Um, we'll run with it. Um, there was a there was going to be four meetings um, or four topics that you could pick and choose four subgroups that you could go to or not go to if you wanted. Um, we finally managed to persuade, well, it was it was agreed that there would be one pre- uh, review of the season at the end of every season where Lee would come and he would sit there and, and there would be kind of a post-mortem. Um, we managed to then move that on and it, get at least a pre- and post meeting pre-season and a post-season review um with him where we could where we could question what the club's plans were for the season, where they were going, what what the coach's plans were, where we thought the club was heading, and then at the end of the season find out well why didn't it well we all would have been why didn't it work out the way it was where we were promised nine months ago. Um so that was agreed. Uh the topics Four subgroups you had stadium and match day experience. So we're back to talking about the pies again. Um, ticketing, the issues with ticketing. Um, probably very apt if we'd managed to have a fans forum recently or had a subgroup run um, after the problems that some fans have had with uh, the, the new season tickets. Um, community and foundation, which was basically an update and an upgrade on uh, being informed of what Kate Bradley used to tell us, and now it was going to be Steve Baharrell which would give us an insight into the work of the foundation. Um, obviously, the foundation was growing. It was doing a lot of more, more mental health stuff, etc. There was the Be A Game Changer program. There was the health stuff they were doing with the 12th man. And there was the work that they were doing to, to get Murray House. So you were going to hear about all of those type of things. And the final one was it was a group called, which I thought was called Diversity. It wasn't until I looked at the, uh, the club website earlier in the week, I found it's now being referred to as United as One. So they were the four groups. Um, I went to three of the four meetings in the Christmas. I then turned up at an event, um, a black and white event that was being put on by the Evening Chronicle. And I walked through the door um, at that event on the, I think it was the 18th of December. Um, certainly it was the, la- the, the night of the, the last time that any of these groups met. Um, and some of the press guys, because it was to do with a food bank, uh, they, were, they were doing a talk in and, and I was there um, in Beelham House uh, bar. And um, 
they all said, where have you been? And I said, oh, I've been to fans forum meetings. Oh, great. When's the minutes out? I went, what minutes? I said, well, the minutes of fans forum. That's great. Hopefully it'll come out before Christmas and we can get, we can get some press. I said, you're not going to get any press. Why not? I goes, because it doesn't work like that. Of course it does. That's what, you know, and you've got, you've got like all the top press guys from the Chronicle and that, you know, half a dozen of them and Gibbo and people like that. They're all sitting there going, well, it does, you know, well, that's what we'll, that's what we'll write about. And going, no, you can, you can write about problems with ticketing. You can write about the truck, the, the, the foundation. You can write about the dead pigeon being still in the, in the leases or the Gallagher end. Um, and you can and write about United as one and some of the great work that's being done on, on diversity and on the rainbow colours and and such like, uh, and about the the, the the work that's been done at Druid Park with uh, with the women's team, um, and they went well. When you're going to ask the questions of Charlie? When you're going to be pinning him to the floor like had previously happened? And he went, it doesn't happen like that anymore. It's gone. And they went, and they, they all went, well, why? <laughs> and I, my, my answer, condescending or not, was because you guys didn't fight for the fans forum. You guys. You guys listen to other people. You guys, uh, you're in a different camp now, and you never really took it took it seriously, um, and it's gone. It, 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 and it's never met since. It, it's never met since December uh, 2019. I know we had COVID that came in in the in the March, um, but we've I think we've had two. I've had I've been on two Zoom meetings with the club uh, to do with. Um, under the guise of ticketing, but it wasn't. It was more to do with whether how we would be able to get fans back into the ground um, when the first lockdown was over, and there was a plan which never ever materialised because they still didn't let fans in. And then there was another meeting uh, held again, um, and that was that wasn't anyone other than I think it was two two club representatives and um, maybe half a dozen or more fans, including including representatives from NUST, Thomas Concannon, and uh, I sat there and Thomas and I liaised after the meeting and we wrote a, a little plan um, and some ideas down uh, that we wanted the club to consider. Um, we had a, The first one, we'd had a presentation by um, Steve Storey, the security officer who had told us everything that the Premier League was saying would have to happen if fans were allowed in. But quite honestly, at the time, we knew fans were never going to be allowed in anyway. It was just, it was a, it was an awful lot of work being done for uh, what we knew would be pointless because we knew that the Premier League would never be, and the government would be never letting fans into the ground at that particular time of sort of uh, May, June 2020. Um, and and sure enough, they didn't. And then we had the full season twenty twenty one, where again there was no fans in. Um, so that's the only time that we've met. That's the only the only group that's been held. I'm not aware of any others. Um, I presume all of the people who would represent the clubs on diversity, ticket, and community and foundation and stadium and match day experience were probably furloughed. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying that uh, facetiously. Um, but uh, the fact that there was none of those meetings took place or that none of them have took place. Um, so if anyone wants to see the minutes, just go on, click on the fans on nufc.co.uk, uh, click on the on the menu and, and click fans, and then you'll see um, what was discussed. And I would advise anyone who's recently joined the NUST board to do exactly that, because some of the questions that are being raised by people now to them have already been covered, already been answered, and the topics are, are very, very, I would say, 
probably the most um, up-to-date that they'll ever be um, until some point when these groups do eventually meet up, uh, you know, whether Vera Lynn's holding them or not, I'm not too sure. Can but, I ask you, can I ask you, Steve? Last, last 15 minutes, Keith, I want to come to you, Keith. You haven't had too much chance to chip in because this hasn't really been your bag. I want to do the last 15 minutes purely on what's going on now. I feel free to ask Steve that question, but now I want to know... Where do we go from here? I just want to say, say Steve, how many hours did he do? For you know, what was average hours? You did a month for that, just roughly. It's a round number. Um, it's a number. I, I, you would, do, you would, you could be, you could be doing like well, the meeting before the meeting, your prep that you would do, just the, roughly the, the emails that you would put out, the the stuff you would put on the, on Fans United to, <sighs> to for questions, the the work you would do when you would talk and afterwards. But, the intervening conversations you had the club, you, you could you could be talking, you know, uh, three, four, five hours or more a week. Um, right. you could, you but could if you like five hours a week, it's twenty hours a month, and you yeah. and you do it for like eight years. It works out at um, it's like two thousand hours you've done, and you're saying you walk around with a target on your back. You know what I mean? Like I wonder why, just because I was listening to all this and, and trying to take it in, because I'm newer to this, but. But why would fanzines be against you after doing 2,000 hours of trying to communicate better with the club? That's, that's the um, bit that, that, that I've yeah. picked up tonight. Well, I think Steve answered that question right at the very start when he said yeah. that, you know, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Yeah. There, is a, there is an element right, there that if you, if you want to do something good and it doesn't yeah. work for them, then you'll get you'll yeah. get kicked in the teeth. It um, comes back and bitches hurt the cats. You know, it's all, it's all, all the lessons you're not telling me, it's all coming up. Going back to the future, Steve, uh, Mr. Ray, uh, um, what's happening in the future? I mean, it, it, like uh, people ask me every day what's happening and and why am I getting a little bit you know, less confident things are happening. So so at the minute, I think it's quite easy. I think I think in the future, um, I think it's a fragmented uh, fan base. And I think I think that communications, whether they come from the club, which obviously they don't come through. Or whether they come from various groups like podcasts, fan scenes, they're so mixed. You know what I mean? And and people are so labelled. Um, it seems with what their agendas are. And and if you look just in the table, we know there's people who want it and people who don't. And and if you say ninety-seven to ninety-nine percent want it, by God, the the one percent or three at most make an awful lot of noise to 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 push their agenda through of what they don't want to see. And I think what I've learned is there's a lot of people out there don't want. Um, the team, the, I would say a lot of influential people uh, within the fan base don't want a Saudi takeover. But going forward, uh, right now, everybody knows on the 27th of September, um, the club uh, will go to a jurisdiction uh, on the CAT and they will try and uh, deny the Premier League from stopping the case running. Uh, the legal team feel they'll succeed with that. But then there's a risk um, at the moment that, that they'll run a case to... Um, try and uh, do an appeal. Um, the fear is that could take as long as a year. It might not even, they might not even get an appeal. The judge might just sit there and say that the points that's been proven, and I'm sure one of them points is going to come up, is going to be um, the fact that Newcastle United probably signed up to say that um, they would, when they became a member of the Premier League, would take any disputes to arbitration. And by taking a cat case, um, they could suggest that's, that's different. However, the people take the cap case aren't the club. It's St. James Park Holden. So I think that, that will get thrown out. Um, going forward, um, if it does get delayed, 
I think it pushes all of our doubts. And I know you, Steve, have, 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 have voiced yours quite clearly. That the doubts yeah. that PIF will be around, that the PCB will be around, and and then that's all fear. But but fans, you know, fans seem to have accepted more from you, Steve, that you've said, look, I think it's over. But but the question in me, why I think it's it's slipping, and why I think it's less chance, less likely to go through. So what I'm saying to people is. Is it, it won't happen unless something changes. You know, it won't happen. We'll never get the certainty or the control that we had at one stage, where where the takeover had a chance of going through, and and the club were in a strong position. Because when the case was ready to run, um, and people felt that the arbitration was going to happen in July, that would have brought us answers. The next thing they thought that the, the cap case was going to run soon. Then, bear in mind, I was lobbying for the cap case in October last year. It took April this year to do it. You were in a car, Steve, with me, and you heard the QC on the, on a telephone call say to me that, you know, just dead openly was asked, if we'd run the cat case when Keith did it in October, would you have won? He said, yes. He says, would you have had new, new owners? You've had new owners at the club now. So so for me, um, I fear and feel um, a loss of appetite um, and a loss of communication. And I think Steve is to say that, that, that one of our fears has been that the club and the buyers aren't as close together on this now. It just doesn't, we don't feel that. And we feel as that though, though the club might be doing something separate themselves. I mean, there might be another buyer in town, we don't know. Um, but, but whatever's happened that's caused the club to uh, release a joint statement from the Premier League, um, almost agreeing that the arbitration will be done not on a date in January or May next year, just this early 22, has sent warning bells to everybody. So what do I think is going to happen? I think that um, what will be will be. Uh, let's see what happens in September the 27th, whether that cat case runs. I'm always confident if the cat case starts to run, that the case will crumble because the disclosure the cat will give them, um, which will be... If, if, if he says the case is running in December... And it happens in September. You'll get the arbitration. You'll get the disclosure halfway through. Okay. So what? I, what? 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 I, I mean, obviously, we know you've given us a little insight in the takeover, which I felt was important. What I'm trying to get at, because this is a, about the fans. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. You, you know. This. This is going out this week. We've recorded this over the last six or seven yeah. weeks. Um. You know. The, the, where does this leave the fans? Because I think. I think. Fans, I think the fans. The fans are clearly disunited. That's the whole yeah. point of doing this. You explain to people why fans are disunited. You've got the pledge. You've got the pledge by the trust. They're off doing one thing, trying to buy one percent of the yeah. club. You. Yeah. You went out on loaded football the other night and talked about potentially getting fans together to, to potentially put some money in to fight a, a separate legal case. Fans. Some fans are for it. The usual suspects and others are jumping on it here, and this is ridiculous. You had people trying to do war fund. You've got um, another uh, account, Transparency Protest, going out on their on their limbs doing stuff. We're getting more and more different fans groups starting. We're more disunited than them have ever been, Keith. Yeah, I agree with you. And, 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 I think, uh, and how is this going to end? I don't I think, think it'll ever will. I don't think I'll ever see a United fan base in my time. No, Even if no, I completely no. walk away from, from the fan base, because... Bear in mind, people point the finger and say, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're yeah, the problem. Sure, sure. I can walk away from this and I guarantee you, I'll not be the problem anymore. No, no, but right. somebody else will be and this fan base will never be yeah. united and that's pitiful. And and, and to, to endorse what you're saying, you, you do get the blame. You know, Steve Wraith and, and, you know, Steve... 
don't know. If Steve Wraith um, allowed his account to be used to when QTech and, and Holly arranged the coaches to go to London at zero margin, he was accused that he was taking 30 quid off fans and he, not, and he never got a penny. So what I've realised, and more so listen to Steve Hasty as well tonight, if he's done um, 2,000 hours free of charge and walks around with his target on his back, um, you know, last night, um, Loaded Mag broke all its records. It's gone to 2,300 views, never been there. Said it had more listeners than ever before. And, and everybody was positive. And what I wasn't doing, I wasn't saying to people, do this. this it's, it's when you try and do something different for the fan base, it's the snipers that they're there to get you. So they, they've got a target on Steve Hasty's back. They're trying to communicate. They've got a target on Steve Wraith's back. They're trying to let people use his accounts at zero margin. And what it is, it's, it just seems as though the fan base, and I don't think, I think you're right, Steve, I, think, I don't think it'll ever improve. Um, I, think, I think we might have had a lull if, if, if there'd been a Saudi takeover, because I think everyone would have got focused on football again. But I think whenever you've got a disgruntled pitch performance, there's a lot of investment, I think then the fans fight amongst themselves. And I think the, the, the bodies, the voices in there, that's out there, um, the, it's the people who cause a lot of it who ask for people to settle down. And what, I, what I've done is I've just gone on my own. I'm just one bloke on my own, spending my own money. And I've had criticism, you know, being shot a bit. So going forward, what f will fans do? I don't know. I was confident if PCP had took over, they would have really, really put the whole fans' communications and liaison to bed. And I think they'd have done it effectively and aggressively and, and really made that a priority. Um, I've watched what Mitch, Mitch has done over the years. I've listened to Steve Wilkes in the night and, and, and think how many years you've been involved. But, but when I listen to you, Steve, you can hear disillusionment. You can hear you saying that, that you know, you're, you're nodding and I appreciate that. You, you're saying that, that, you know, we've given up and we, people weren't listening to us and we were making a difference, but it wasn't happening. But Steve Hasty, I mean, he, he must be scared to death. And, and, and for me, um, I think there's more emphasis in this fan base on what you can't do than what people can do. And I think, I think that a lot, of, um, a lot of, you know, you talk about usual suspects, David, but this is Steve H. Comfort Night. It's been eight years of targeting free of charge work. And, and I, you know, I've spent, ten, I've, I've spent a, big, a big sum, you know, I've spent a figure sum. Um, try, trying to get it, this club to be better, get a case in the court. I've yeah. been slow for it. Last so couple of minutes, last couple of minutes, lads. Listen, because we, we, we've pre-recorded this. We've, we've had a long night. We've done the retro show, which ran over time as well. I'm conscious that we're, we're all doing this for free. We all want to shoot off and do do bits and bobs with the family. Uh, Mitch, final final thing on Newcastle disunited. Can the fan base ever pull together? The drive has to come from whoever a new owner is. Yeah. They've got the opportunity. They have the opportunity to set an agenda, a positive agenda. Um, to give you more hours, Keith, that certainly Steve and I have done, we've been involved directly in what four potential bids for the club yeah. and done all sorts behind the scenes on that. Um, I could share with you a PDF of a potential development at the Riverside State a cricket ground in Chesterley Street that come out the back of that that we then got involved with as well. You know, and, 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 other, and more besides, all unpaid, never had a penny, never taken a penny, never asked for a penny. Um, 
one of the things we did get involved with was trying to get the Binzai group back involved. And yeah. the plans that we looked at from them were 50-50. Half the ideas were totally bonkers, and half the ideas were absolute genius. And it was neither one nor the other. But they'd obviously looked at what Man City's owners did when they came in. Yeah. 100 days of meetings. 100 days of meetings. They had everything from fans in, tasting the pies and picking the pies. They're talking about what do you think the new badge should be like? What do you think our waste strip should be like? With some things which might seem so trivial, but yet they're important to certain yeah. elements of the fan base. And that's what they'd looked at doing. And that was one of the better, better ideas in their package was to create meetings where you could get people along. But the engagement has to come from the club. The top. And yes. under the current owner, who was who is basically the captain of a ghost ship now, for all the some great people involved at our club still, and we can't say this enough, Steve and I, that they are hamstrung constantly because there is no desire at the very top to interact and communicate anymore because there's no trust and there's no love there. And I think the only way that we're going to get back together properly as a fan base starts at the very top of the club with the ownership and then perhaps we can start to heal together. And then it's up to people like us who have a platform and a voice and we're not afraid to use that voice to generate some of that healing and not use the platform to have the go, go to other people and other people on other platforms and turn it into a war and use it for certain personal agendas or, or, or twist the narrative a certain way. That's got to stop. But again, that won't stop, in my opinion, until there's change at the club and the attitude of the club, top to bottom. Steve Hasty. I, I agree absolutely wholeheartedly with that. Um, I'd also say that um, if, I, if I look back to, say, 2018, um, I remember saying to someone that if new owners came in, they would have a three-year sort of peace dividend um, before, to me, <laughs> before things would start to slip. Um, the way things have been lately, I worry that even if new owners come in, that three-year dividend that they could gain might not be there because I feel as though there are so many, many people within the fan base, within social media, the way that it has ex exploded um, yeah. during lockdown, um, the number of blogs that are out there, the number of people with their own agendas, the number of people with agendas against other people, not necessarily just the agendas that are positive, but negative agendas. I feel as though there's a negativity around the fan base that they would almost certainly use to turn against anybody, whether they yeah. were new owners or not. Um, and so that worries me. That that's the, that's a concern I have. What on the positive side I would say is that the, we've always said that the most important thing with a football club was the communication aspect. And if new owners did come in, it would be the first thing that we would be writing to them and telling them about and telling them what's gone wrong, what they need to be doing to put it right, and hopefully that there would be an ear there that was listening, that was intelligent enough to understand um, exactly what the point is. Because let's face it, people like the five of us in this little quorum um, tonight and the people that we actually interact with um, are the sensible people who would be able to give them 
an absolutely brilliant year to understand exactly what they can do with this football club. And and we would give them all the help we could to make sure that it was a success. Steve uh, Wilkinson, final yeah. words. Well, really, I'm just thinking, going back over the, the 60 years I've been going, 60 years coming up in next year, there's really only been a very short time when we've, we've really related to the top. And that was when John Hall was, was first in in the early 90s um, and, and, and Keegan was in as manager. But even that started to go wrong when, when they started making it to PLC because they the, the yeah. changed the, yeah. the, the communication because they weren't, they weren't going to be the owners anymore. And that, that's what sort of changed things. And you had the, even then, the resisted fans' communication because Freddie Fletcher always used to say, I think there was, there was attempts to get some sort of forum going then. He says, if we need to canvas opinion, we've got 36,000 people on the waiting list. We can just send an email out to everybody or, or a, it wasn't there then, or a letter and just get feedback from them. But it, it, it is from the top. that We haven't got a chance while Ashley's there unless he has a, a, a very unexpected U-turn, which nobody's expecting. And, uh, you know, I, I was always, you know, I've been hopefully behind, behind everything that uh, has been going on in trying to get PCP and the, the consortium. My, my wish would be the PCP and, and the Rubens would find another financer um, other than PIF, if that was ever possible. Because I think we would definitely relate to, to Amanda Stavely. We definitely relate to the Rubens. They've already done a lot of development in the city. And, and I think having having the right sort of finances. And we don't need the zillions of, of the, the PIF we're going to put in. Um, we, need, we need somewhere in between what Ashley's prepared to put in, which is zero, and, and, uh, and, and PIF for a loss. And that's, I think, what, how, the way ahead. And I, I would hope that, I mean, Keith's talking about the club might be talking about somebody else. My hope is that if it, if it, if it is going to fall flat, that they realise it isn't going to happen because of the, the, the barrier that's there between the EPL and, and the club in terms of PIF being involved and that uh, that there is some way forward with it with another consortium yeah listen been fascinating this lads uh, fascinating series and I hope that the general public and the fans of NUFC matters will watch this uh, will listen to it um, and the and the, the the full series that's been on this week and they, they take from it what they want it wasn't set up to have a slanging match. It was setting up to give clarity uh, about all the fans' groups, all the fans' politics, all the fans' organisations and our involvement in it and just try to give you a full, a fuller understanding of our involvement and why we have got, as Steve Hastie's rightly pointed out, targets on our back. And this has gone on long before Twitter, Facebook and all of the social media. This has gone on for many, many years now and um, we're still here. We're still fighting for the cause. We're still supporting Newcastle United and we're still doing our bit free of charge. Except that time I took the fans' liaison and it was a job, of course. But <laughs> that aside, we've done all of this for free because we love the club and we want to see it do well. And um, that's that's it. It's as simple as that. Uh, listen, great great to have you on, Steve Wilkinson, Keith Patterson, Steve Hastie, Mitch. Thanks for doing this. Take care, lads. Good night. Cheers. Good night. Cheers, everyone.